great time to just connect with God. And we do that every week at junior high and do it in community, and we have a blast doing it, and I love doing it. I love getting the Bibles in front of us and learning truth from God's word. But having a night where we can just be together, and this thing, no games, no, no we, no running around, no candy, just time between you and your creator. I love nights like that. So we're, we're doing one together with high school ministry. It's going to be a lot of fun. So this is my surprise for you. It's Mother's Day. Let's tweak these lights around because I want you all to meet my beautiful mom. Hey. <laughs> mom, you look so great today. How are you feeling? I'm doing great. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Mom. So this is what everyone looks like. They, well, this is the boys, but they are basically a mess. These are all the girls that actually put time into looking nice for church. But this is all them. So, Mom, this is my question for you. Okay, we can leave it here. You can just hear my voice, Mom. I'll let you look at the girls over here. Look how nice, look how nice they look. So, Mom, here's my question for you. You knew me when I was in junior high. You raised me, right? So can you share some just great wisdom from what it was like to raise me when I was in junior high? Oh, it was so much fun. <laughs> you had your ups and downs, but you were a joy, and watching you come closer to Jesus was was a great thing. I think that's about the time you decided to become a pastor, and um, it just it was just wonderful. You know, you talked for a little bit about the ups and downs, okay? And I don't want to put you on the spot, but the, and I don't share, don't give away the farm sharing big stories, but. There were some ups and downs when I was in junior high. I, we had this one question, one of the, what, are, what, what was the question, what are, what's the thing that my mom, we argued about the most? And the answer that I gave, the thing that we argued about the most, especially when I was growing up, was dating bad girls. Remember all the, the terrible girls that I dated? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, which was your least favorite of all of them? Uh, Molly. Yeah, Molly, yeah, she was the worst. She was terrible. Yeah, at that time, Justin thought they were all great, and um, and slowly he learned, and now he married a wonderful woman. Yeah, I did. Uh, all of you know. Ooh, Brittany. yeah, I did. Talking about Brittany, get me all excited. All right, so here's the question I'm going to put over in the boys here now, because I want you to see their faces. They're not all that different from me in a lot of ways. So here they are. There's a bunch of them. Okay, so here's the question. So we were talking about a little bit about the ups and downs. Here's my question for you, Mom. During some of my downtime, especially in junior high, how was it that you were able to love me even when I wasn't making it easy for you to love me as a parent? Well, I, because of all the good years we had together and I knew it was all a part of growing. You can't, you can't just go from here to there. You have to, you have to grow and learn. And um, you, you just, you, you did all so many wonderful things in the meantime, too, that it was just easy to love you. And I'm your mother. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're the best. You know, you've been a follower of Jesus now for, gosh, what, 15, 20 years now, probably? Right, right. What are some of the biggest lessons you've learned throughout those years? And you didn't meet Jesus until you were in your 40s? All right. <laughs> so you, you didn't meet Jesus. You didn't meet Jesus when you were a junior high kid. You met him when you were an adult. So 20 years of being a Christian, following Jesus, watch, you know, raising me, following Jesus. What were maybe some of the, just the biggest lessons you have now looking back on that journey that you have about your relationship with Jesus that maybe these guys could learn from? I'm putting prayer into it. Um, in times where 
I was worried about how you were growing up and what you were doing. I kept you in church and, um, and, and Jesus led me to, um, into prayer and I would just trust your, your Christian friends, especially you had big brothers in Christ and, um, and they, they were there when I couldn't be. Like um, there were times where I know if I would have pulled up and, and tried to pull you out of somewhere, you would have, you know, hid probably or, or you know, <laughs> it was my crazy mother. But when, when your brothers in Christ came and got you, it was a different story. And um, I just put learned that I couldn't be everything. And I think that's the biggest lesson everybody needs to learn. Yeah, you I can't agree. be everything to everybody. You need to trust in Jesus to do it. I agree with that. You know, there was a lot of times that I would mess up and you would, you would forgive me. Here's the question that I kind of have that I've, I've really been thinking about. It must have been difficult for you, mom, and I love you dearly, you know this, but we've talked about this. When I was young, my dad left and he, that was his choice. So you had to raise me yourself, I mean, pretty much through all those years. And you did such an incredible job of it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and... So here's my question for you. How, how did you, those difficult places where you kind of had to be the, the mom and the dad, what was, uh, what, kept, what kept you going? Like what was it that just kept you going, loving me and caring for me when it was difficult? It was the, it was the good things that you did. And the, um, the people who kind of, who helped in the way too. But just um, being with you, I, like the one time when you were in eighth grade and you were having your ups and downs, but then on Mother's Day, you made me that beautiful book. You took all the old pictures that we had that were hard to look at because of the divorce and you, you put it together in a very loving book and um, I treasure it always. It's, it's just- I remember that. It was yeah. good. Mom, it's, some it's of the so coolest- good. Some of the coolest things about me I learned from you, and I appreciate that. You're the best. Hey. Except one thing. Sure. In that book, there was a picture of you in your, in your little old coupe car, and you <laughs> said, I remember that thing. I'll, ne I'll never leave, and I'll never just drive off, and you've traveled so much, and you're 3,000 miles away, but I, I love you so dearly. <laughs> I love you too. Hey, listen, I'm going to teach my junior hires here a lesson about Jesus. If you're not doing anything, I'd love for you to, to be a part of this. Is that all right? Oh, I would love it. All right, so you just it. stay there. You can grab your Bible too, because we're going to open it up in a second. And listen, if you guys don't have a Bible, please go in the back and grab one, because uh, we're going to be in it in about two minutes, and I don't want you guys to miss it. So, happy Mother's Day to everybody. Uh, I don't think there's any mothers in the room. I know there's people who are closer to being mothers than others. Brittany's here. She's pretty close to being a mother, because um, we're married, so we, that's like already closer than you single people and the most of you single people most of you are children so you are far away from it but you all have mothers so that's a pretty good deal and this is what I love about mothers okay mothers they totally get like how to make this this family stuff work make sure that everyone has pens too by the way everyone has pens they get how to make this family stuff work. Now, I don't know what it was with my mom, and probably it is the same with yours. She's just like the great um, 
a fixer of terrible situations sometimes. She can, she can just come into my life in the midst of just wreckage and just love me in such an incredible way. Moms are just great. They just get this stuff. This is what it says in Exodus. This is what it says in the Bible. Uh, Exodus 20, chap, uh, verse 12. Honor your mother and father so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This is what's so cool. Out of the Ten Commandments, this is the only one that comes with a promise. God's saying, listen, do this thing, this thing that I have for you. It's entitled to your moms and your dads. Honor them, care about them, love them, show them respect, listen to what they're saying. And guess what? In return for that, in return for the obedience in this area that I think is so important, I'm going to let you have the land that is all yours. Now, this is the thing. Switching subjects, but still staying basically on the same subject. Stereotypes are something that my mom always got about me. Like, she knew me so well that given a situation, she could kind of pick out how I'm, I'll probably react given whatever I'm coming in contact with. So either it's a decision or how someone treated me or grades I got on my report card. If she got the information first, chances are she could figure out how I was going to react. And we all kind of fulfill some kind of stereotype in some way. Like if you have a best friend, uh, like Shibby, for instance. If you're best friends with Shibby, most people know Shibby's personality. You guys know Shibby's personality like pretty well. Darwit, you know his personality pretty well. Am I saying that right? Darwit, right? Perfect. The Buffalo A. You know his personality pretty well. So if something was happening, you would even, you know, a stereotype, we make it sound like a negative thing, but you could potentially guess how Shibby would react because you know him really well, okay? All right, this is the thing. This is what I want you to grab. We as Christians, God knows us really well. And he knows us so well that he knows kind of what side we're going to fall on things. Like as Christians, it's really easy for us to pick a side. And almost every issue we have, Christians can pick one side or the other. When you open up the New Testament, Jesus, who made it very clear, I mean terrifyingly clear, that what should describe us, that, that personality thing that should describe us uh, is the most uh, maybe important thing of all of his teachings. See, he said that grace and truth was everywhere and that we were called to love one another in grace and truth. He's saying that this is what should describe you. This describes you. See, right before Jesus left the earth, he had this teaching, and for some it was very difficult because it was very different from what's normally characterized them, what kind of made up who they are. And for some it was really easy. Now, this is the reason why. Some people love people in a very truthful way. I'll love you, but I'm going to tell you how it is. Like, I love you, but you smell really bad, and you just need to know. And some people are like the grace part. Like, I love you, and you couldn't do anything to, you know, to screw that up. You could steal my bike and smash my Xbox with a hammer, and I would still love you. I grace, love, all on you. Now, this is the thing. This is what Jesus taught. This is what he says in John chapter 13 with verse 34. You don't have to look it up, but just hear me. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Listen, 
Not your big gold cross necklace you got when you were a kid. Not the bumper stickers on your car. Not the way you design your locker. Not how thick your Bible is or the Christian t-shirt you wear. This is what Jesus is saying. It's not about how, how often you come to church or how many times you've been baptized. This is what he's saying. If you love one another, that is how people will know that you're my disciple. How you love them. But, and this is meant to be our identity. You know, for Christians, for Christ followers, uh, everything that people will know about Christ by looking at us comes from this idea. See, they will know Christ simply by looking at you and seeing that you love one another. So if you're taking notes, write this stuff down because this is a note taker's lesson. You guys like this stuff. This is great. Oh, man, I love this. So this is what he's saying. I want you to love the way I loved you. But this is the problem. So we all, even though we all have some kind of frame of reference for what love is, we all understand love to some degree. Um, we've experienced it to some extent. Understanding it the way Jesus taught it is very difficult for us. See, because we all fall on one side or the other. Either we're the grace side of, it doesn't matter what you do, I totally love you, I think you're amazing, you couldn't do wrong in my eyes, you're beautiful and wonderful and lovely. Or the truth side of, you know, I love you, but I'm going to tell you the way it is. And if you don't like it, then, then you probably don't want to be my friend because I'm going to love you in a truthful, harsh, you know, bold, you know, drawing lines in the sand kind of way. So we look at both of those ways. Now, this is what, this is what Jesus says. When you open up the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and look at how Jesus loved, it's kind of like a call, you know, when Jesus says, hey, you, over there, you know, with the fishing net, drop your net and come follow me. I mean, that was a pretty difficult thing. Imagine if I was to come into junior high and be like, hey, 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 junior high, drop your donut. Come follow me. And like, you know, you know, Shibby over here, he'd be like, what the heck? I'm going to drop my donut and following this crazy lunatic. Guy has no hair. Who can follow a guy with no hair, right? It's the most difficult thing in my ministry, guys. I'm telling you, it's very difficult. But it was terrifying. Listen, listen. This was terrifying, and it was inconsistent. See, because Jesus' call, it seemed so sporadic. It seemed like he was just picking people out of the crowd and saying, come follow me. The call to love can be terrifying and inconsistent. To call, the call to love people the way Jesus loved people is terrifying sometimes because it's not easy. And it creates this tension that we want to resolve. You know, the tension of, I want to love you, but I'm full of grace and understanding. And I also want to love you, but sometimes I just give total truth all the time. And there's this tension. And with love, we usually land on one end of the spectrum. And you may feel like something is missing. You may feel like, I, I'm not getting this completely. I'm not understanding how to love people the right way because I fall on one end or the other. See, maybe you were raised in a house where, and you have a brother or sister, and you're like, man, when my parents love my brother or sister, it feels like they're getting like a, like a get-out-of-jail-free card every time they do something. But I'm getting like thrown into solitary confinement. You know, you're at school and your teacher, you feel like, man, my teacher is so hard on me all the time. Like, they say they care about me, and they say they care about teaching me, but it feels like they're always hard on me. And maybe that's your experience with the truth or the grace side of love. Sometimes it's negative. Sometimes it's positive. See, when you open up the New Testament and ask questions about how did Jesus love, you start to get some pretty incredible answers. It's, the, uh, it's maybe one of the most difficult questions we ask. See, because this is the thing. When Jesus loved, sometimes it was really messy, and it was inconsistent. 
Sometimes it was unfair. Like, it, people were keep trying to keep score, and they're like, this doesn't seem like Jesus is being a fair guy here. He was unfair. And sometimes it was really confusing. See, my temptation and yours sometimes, this is what I struggle with, is to resolve this tension. To say there has to be one way of loving people, right? Either you love people in the truth, I'm just going to be honest, I'm going to tell you the way it is, and I'm just going to put my chips on the table, and that's going to be the way I love you. Or I'm just going to be graceful and understanding. I'm going I'm to get where you're coming from, and it's going to be okay. And we have this tension, and we try and resolve it. See, at junior high, sometimes we try and resolve this tension all the time. We have students that mess up all the time. Dude, when I was in junior high, I messed up all the time. I was a big mess up in junior high. I screwed up all the time. And in the midst of that, I had my parent there, my mom, because my dad had left. He wasn't in the picture at the time. So my mom was there, and my youth pastors were there, and my youth leaders were there. And they were put in this place that was messy and inconsistent and seemed unfair to me and to others, and was confusing a lot. Now, here's the good thing. We're not left to figure it out on our own. If you don't have a Bible, go grab one. There's Bibles over there, and there's Bibles in the back. I want you to have Bibles in front of you, because this is going to be pretty good stuff. So go grab a Bible. So this is the tension. There is a tension. Tension is happening. The struggle between the two is taking place. Now, Jesus, sometimes it seems... Look at this guy handing out Bibles to his friends. Look at Shibby, dude. Shibby loves people in grace. He gets that. Here's the thing. You look at the person of Jesus sometimes, and there's confusion there. And this is why. Sometimes you look at Jesus, and it seems like he is forgiving everybody. You just come to him, and he'll forgive you. It seems like Jesus is a forgiving guy. Sometimes you look at stories in the Bible where Jesus is holding people accountable for what they're doing. At points, he points out everyone's sin. And sometimes he seems like he's not concerned with people's sin at all. Personally and individually, sometimes we're tempted to resolve this tension. Now, Jesus was comfortable with the tension. And we don't dare to walk away from it. See, he embraced the messy, inconsistent, unfair, and confusingness of truth and grace and loving people that way. See, John... He's a writer of scripture in the Bible, and this is kind of his deal. See, back then, uh, after Jesus had gone into heaven, he said, hey, I'm going to come back. I'm, gonna be, I'm coming back, and I'm going to take you with me. This is going to be great. Now, a lot of people thought it meant he was going to come back like in a couple weeks or a couple months or a couple years. And for John, these months turned into years, and these years turned into decades. So now we're talking with John, who about 45 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And at this time, uh, some, most of the disciples, pretty much all of them, have either died, they've been uh, you know, martyred or crucified. Uh, some of them have just kind of uh, paled off into, you know, the, the history books, and we don't really hear from them anymore, but we hear from John. He's this old guy, and everyone's getting around him and saying, John, you've been talking about this guy named Jesus for so long. You've been talking about him for years, and he hasn't come back yet, and this is our worry, John. We're worried that you're going to die before he comes back, and we're going to miss out on all these stories that you have about who Jesus was. So, John, can you please write this stuff down for us so we can have it, so we can read it in the future? Now, this is one of the things that was so important to John because as John describes Jesus, he describes him as the Word, coming into our world, living in it with us. Okay, here's the thing. The word living with us. This was his picture. Jesus was God 
in human flesh. And instead of just watching us from above saying, oh man, everything that the humans are doing is great. I'll just keep watching from above. Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to be part of what's happening. I'm going to put on skin and I'm going to move into their neighborhood and I'm going to get to know them face to face. I'm going to have conversations and share barbecues with them and have stories with them. See, John 1.14 says this. It's on your screen. Open up your Bibles. I don't want you to miss this. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So this is what he's saying. There's a tension here. See, because Jesus isn't just picking one or the other. He's not just saying, hey, I'm, I'm Jesus, the son of God, and I'm going to come here and I'm going to love you, but I'm only going to love you in truth. I'm only going to love you, telling you the truth all the time. I'm going to point out all your stuff, and that's how I'm going to love you. And Jesus didn't come to earth saying, I'm going to love you, but I'm just going to just show you grace. I'm going to understand you. I know you mess up sometimes. That's cool with me. Let's just keep rolling through, and it'll be fine. This is what I find. This is the kind of list, when it comes to truth and grace, this is got on the screen, so pay attention, it's going to fly by pretty fast. When I talk about truth, uh, I, think, I hear people say that there's no understanding. You know, this is the truth, this is how it is, it's built in this fortress, and this is how it is, this is truth. With grace, there's no boundaries. Grace, you can just do whatever, it's, it's totally open, there's total understanding. With truth, you're accountable. You need to pay the price for what you did. You did something wrong, and, and you got to pay for it, and we're going to find you, and we're going to make you cash in. When we're talking about grace, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Don't worry about it. I love you. I care for you. I'm going to take care of it for you. I'm going to pay the bill. Send it to me. Email it to me. I'll take care of it. Just let me know how much it is. When we talk about truth, we talk about you're broken, you're broken, and you, you, and, and you can't be fixed. Someone needs to figure you out because you don't have it figured out. Good thing there's someone here to tell you that. When we talk about grace, we say, you're fine. You're fine. We can, you're good. Don't worry. Don't get down on yourself. Don't get bummed, depressed, or sad. You're fine. When we talk about truth, sometimes you're going to have to work on it. Listen, you're going to have to work on this. You know, I love you. I want to show you grace and love. But listen, you're going to have to work on this. I know you might think it's okay, but it's not. And maybe people have said it's cool. Just keep doing it. But listen, I'm telling you the truth, and this is how I'm loving you, by telling you you need to work on it. Grace would say, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Listen, listen. Don't go home depressed. Don't go home sad. Don't go home freaking out. It's going to be okay. I'm here for you. I'm here to tell you it's going to be fine. That's what grace would say. Lastly, truth would say this. Truth would say, you're gonna, there's going to be consequences for this. You may not know what they are right now, but I can guarantee you there's consequences for what's going to happen next, and you're probably not going to like them. Grace would say, no matter what you do, I love you. Now, this is the thing. Because we all have our different personalities, we all lean one way or the other. We look at these lists, and we kind of read them off like a job description of our own, our own self. We look at these and say, man, I'm this guy. I'm the guy that points out people's flaws, and I'm the, the one that says, you guys need to figure this out and work on it. Or I'm the guy that understands. You know, I'm not perfect, and they're not perfect, and I understand that people can't be perfect, and it's okay. We fall one way or the other at all these things. But do you know how, 
Do you know how great it is for people with truth to get truth and people with grace to get grace? Let me, let me think about this. This is the thing. When it comes to truth, truth is so good for the other person, right? I mean, truth is so good when it applies to someone else. And when it's you who messes up, when it's you who kind of screwed up, it, grace is all you want, right? You just want understanding and acceptance. Very rarely, though, are we able to evenly distribute those to everyone. See, this is what Jesus said. Truth and grace, the fullness coming through Jesus. This is what it says in John 1.16. Out of his fullness, we have seen grace in place of grace already given. We have already received grace upon grace upon grace. All the grace we need, we have already gotten from Jesus. He came and he accepted us and he died for us and he understands us. For the law, this is what it says in verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So he's talking, and I talk about this often, they're using examples that the people are going to understand. So the people understand who Moses is. They understand the law. So what John is saying, just like the, the Moses came with the law, with the Ten Commandments, with the rules, Jesus came with grace and truth through Jesus. Not, a ba- not the balance between, not 50-50 of, the full measure of, all of it, all at once. He brought it all into every conversation, every situation he had with people, every interaction he had with people. In John chapter 4, verse 4 through 42, it depicts the story of uh, the woman, uh, the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. And this is what's so crazy. Back then, it was a very big deal for her to have had any interaction with Jesus at all. See, she went to this well, and you may know the story. You may have heard it a million times in, in Sunday school or Port Mariners. They go, and they, they go to get water. They go to the well. It's kind of like a communal well for the community they live in. And they all travel there, and they all get water, and all the women, they're the ones who usually get the water. So, boys, you kind of get off free, and girls, I'm kind of sorry for that. So they would hike up miles with these big jugs, and they'd get water. Now, this woman specifically, though, she didn't go when everyone else went. She actually avoided everyone else, and this is the reason why. She, she had this reputation about her. See, she had this reputation, and everyone knew her, and she wanted to avoid all of them. You know, for Jesus, coming to Jacob's well to get water is, is kind of insignificant in itself. But he knew this woman was going to be here. This Samaritan woman in the middle of the day when it was really hot, this woman who had these big strikes against her. All right, strike number one. This is what it says. Strike number one was this. She had a very bad reputation. For a lot of people, that reputation made it impossible to have a relationship with her. Maybe sometimes we know other people's reputations before we know them. When I was in school, I had a pretty half-and-half reputation. Because I was a pretty nice guy, but sometimes I was kind of mean. There were some kids at school who were totally mean, and that's what they were known for, just being a jerk. There were some girls at school that were known for some pretty bad stuff. There were some boys at school that were known for drugs and drinking. That's just the way it went. Now, this is the deal. Reputation precedes you. People will know your reputation before they ever know you. Strike number two, Jesus was a rabbi and she was a woman. The fact that he would even have a conversation with her was a really big deal because he was a Jewish rabbi. She was a Samaritan woman. And back then, 
being a Samaritan, that's strike number three for her. And we're kind of like the half-breeds of this whole uh, uh, area that they're living in. You know, no one liked the Samaritans, especially the Jews. They would have never hung out with her. So the fact that she was a Samaritan was a gigantic deal. So that's strike number three. Now, this is how it broke down. Just in meeting with her, Jesus was showing grace. Just simply in having a conversation with her, just the fact of even noticing her and, and talking to her like a person, Jesus was showing grace. This is how he showed his He wasn't concerned with her reputation. He wasn't concerned with the fact that she was a woman and he was a rabbi. He wasn't concerned that she was a Samaritan woman. He wasn't concerned. He showed grace and love and talked to her. Well, now we, see, we get to see something else. Because he also gives her some truth. This is what it says in John 14, verse 16. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. This is what she says in verse 17. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you, are not, you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now, imagine this. Because this is what's happening. The disciples are standing around Jesus saying, Jesus, what are, you, what are you saying to this woman? What are you talking about? I mean, where did you learn to care for people? Like, this is probably the most painful and hurtful and, and shocking part of her history. Like, this is probably one of the most hardest things that she has to deal with on a regular basis. Her poor reputation in her community is built around this idea. And this is what you brought up? Jesus, who taught you this stuff? Where would you go to school for this? You should get your money back, Jesus. You don't know what you're talking about. You're nuts. Jesus left this woman eyeball to eyeball with her sin. Listen, Jesus showed his love and grace for her because he made time for her. He didn't worry about those strikes that were against her. Jesus gave her truth, the truth that she desperately needed. Jesus showed love in grace and truth. You know, he wraps up with saying to her, you know, go into town, tell, tell people. And, and, you know, she's running and she's going off into town. And Jesus kind of leaves her with the idea that, you know, he has this water that will quench her thirst. You know, it'll quench her thirst in a way that none of these other men have ever been able to provide. And she runs into town, leaves her jar, and is telling everybody and really is turning in uh, to the, basically this town's first evangelist for Jesus. And she's going and she's telling everybody. Because with this encounter, listen, with this encounter of full grace and full truth, not a little bit of this and a little bit of that full measure of grace and, grace and truth, it changed her life. You know, there was a, another story that Jesus took place with Matthew. Uh, he was a tax collector. Back then, tax collectors were just, to, were just hated people. It become, mostly because they were traitors. See, they would find these tax collectors out of these, these Jewish communities. And so it would be this Jewish guy uh, who is taxing his own people. So it's kind of like if Shibby here, which Shibby's getting a lot of attention today, I put Shibby in charge of charging everybody, you know, a tax every time they came to junior high. And Shibby's getting rich, and you're dressing in nice clothes, and he has a nice bicycle, and Shibby's just so happy. But everyone else hates Shibby because he's a traitor. He's taxing his own people. So Jesus has this interaction with Matthew. This is what it says in verse number 9. Jesus, uh, <clears throat> Jesus went from there and saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. 
Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Listen, this is scary. This is scary and inconsistent. This is how Jesus works. You, come follow me. Now his disciples are thinking, Jesus, you're crazy. This guy is one of the most hated guys in town. Jesus, aren't you afraid of your reputation? Aren't you afraid of what people are going to think about you, seeing you with that guy? You know, we shouldn't hang out with him at all. We should get out of here because people are going to look at you. They're not going to listen to anything you say. We, you, know, you should be nervous about what people are going to say about you. And Jesus looked at him and said, listen, if you think that I'm not concerned now, just wait till you see when we go to his house for dinner. So this is what it says in the next verse. Verse number 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, which is written that way for a reason. They would look at sinners as kind of like, you know, yes, you're a sinner, but if you're a tax collector, you're a whole nother level of bad. So this house was then filling up with tax collectors and sinners And they came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, Jesus, aren't you afraid of your reputation? Aren't you afraid of what other people are going to think about you? Listen, at school, aren't you guys afraid of what people are going to think when you're showing love to people, when you're showing understanding and grace and truth? Aren't you worried that people are going to start thinking that you're with them, you're one of those people? Hey, listen. Aren't you happy that Jesus didn't care that he associated with sinners? Aren't you happy that Jesus is willing to be around people just like you? Because this is what Jesus said. I have to imagine this had to be his response. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. He looked at Matthew and he didn't see the reputation or the story or the hatred they had for him. He just saw someone that was lost and needed a little bit of grace, a little bit of understanding to go to his house and have dinner with him. And a little bit of truth of, hey, you know, follow me. Leave what you're doing. Leave tax collecting. Leave all that stuff. Be one of my disciples. Now, the other disciples probably had a huge problem with that. Because this is a tax collector in their midst. But Jesus didn't care. He wasn't concerned with that. See, Jesus did something here that was very, very different from what we're used to. Jesus giving the full measure of grace and truth, fully embracing it. And it's not hard to be full of truth guys. But man, is it hard to be full of grace. It's really easy to tell people the way that it is. It's really easy to stand there and have your list and kind of rattle off, you know, all these things that you did. And, you know, and, but it's really hard to be truly full of grace at the same time. It's really hard to be understanding. Here, here's an example. This is some of the stuff that Jesus cared about. You know, Jesus looked at people and said, you know, I don't condemn you and you're a sinner and that's how I love you. You know, I'm the embodiment of truth and grace. I know what it looks like to be honest with you and accept you. See, if you want to know what he meant when he said love one another, look at how he loved. Look at how he looked at people and said, hey, listen, I call sin, sin, and I don't condemn you. I love you. If you're making difficult choices that lead you to sin and it's difficult to get out of that, guess what? Jesus is saying, I still love you. Jesus is saying, if the the difficulty of your decisions and maybe the scars or, or bruises left by a lifetime of sin and walking away from God has left you feeling incapable of walking back to him, in the midst of that, I still love you. You might think that the only way 
that you can love people. Maybe the only way that God loves you is to just tell you the truth. And the truth that you feel you're getting is that you're a sinner and you're broken and you're messed up. Listen, Jesus says you're right. You are a sinner. And I don't condemn you. I'm the one that paid the price for you. I love you. See, the truth is you're a sinner. The grace is I don't condemn you. No one will ever love you more than Jesus. That's what he's saying. He's saying in the midst of your sin, while you're sinning, while you're there, no one could love you more than me. And here's the truth. We are the image bearers of this. We are the best examples that anyone's ever going to see. When they're looking at us and they're like, man, what does Jesus look like? Who is he? What's he about? The best way he's ever going to see any of this is to look at us. The church is at its best when we embrace both grace grace and truth and refuse to let go of either. The church is at its best. Junior high is at its best when we embrace grace and truth and refuse to let go of either. When we say, this is what we're going to be about, we see Jesus doing this with his disciples, this is what we're going to be about. Listen, you, students, you, you guys are at your best when you fully embrace grace and truth, and you refuse to let go of either. I'm going to invite the band back up, because we're going to have a, a last song and a last moment, the last time of reflection on this. Because this is the thing, it isn't easy to accomplish this. Sometimes this is difficult. It's not the most simple thing in the world to wake up and say, man, I'm going to be full of grace, I'm going to be full of truth, I'm going to be honest, but I'm going to love people. This is what Jesus is saying. I modeled this for you. If you want to know how to do this better, look at me. Look at what I did. And there's always going to be a tension there. There's always going to be this pull between, am I going to be more of this, or am I going to be more of grace and understanding, am I going to be more of truth? But Jesus did fully both, all at the same time. So this is what I'm going to ask you guys to do as the band starts playing. I'm going to ask you guys to just take a couple minutes while they're playing this last song and reflect on is there something that's right now standing between you and your ability to fully connect with with the grace and the truth offered to you by Jesus. Take a second and reflect on if there's someone in your life, some friend or family member or someone you know, that their reputation is keeping you from loving them with grace and truth. And maybe this week something needs to change. Maybe you're sitting there and thinking, man, all I've heard for years is just the truth side of things, how I'm broken and a sinner and messed up and, and screwed up and how you know I, I got to fix this stuff. Listen, Jesus fixed this stuff for you. He loves you. He doesn't condemn you, and neither do I. No one has the right to other than him, and he didn't. If, if you're a space right now, a moment where you're just like, believing in this I think would change my life. It would change who I am. To know that I'm accepted and loved and known by God would change everything. This is a moment for you to really pray and think through that. Now, there's going to be leaders in the back if you want to talk to us during this time. And the prayer walls are open, too. There's paper in each corner. If you want to use that prayer wall for something, write something down and leave it there. Some students did yesterday already. Feel free to. I'm going to give you guys a couple minutes as I start to play. Just reflect on this, the grace and the truth of Jesus. Jesus.